Good morning. It's wonderful to be together as a family of God this morning. We've looked forward to this day for many weeks and are really looking forward to a special day together. We'll celebrate baptism. It's my daughter getting baptized. And uh, we'll have some special music and we'll also spend some extended time in scripture with the book of Ruth, um, which is show, help us to think about how God has revealed himself in that book. Let's start our time together by thinking of your own faith story. How did God draw you to himself? Perhaps you can identify with the psalmist in 116, Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is full of righteousness. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Amen? Let's stand and praise the Lord together.
Please be seated. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Emily. I serve on our student team, and it's my joy to lead us as we celebrate baptism this morning. In the Great Commission, Jesus says to us, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to do together this morning. In our church, we believe in the baptism of believers, those who have already responded to the good news of the gospel and have placed their faith in Christ. The scripture teaches us that baptism isn't what saves us. It doesn't contribute to our salvation. Rather, it's this beautiful and joyful act of obedience to the Lord that shows we are publicly declaring our faith in Christ. And so this morning, I want to invite you as we celebrate baptism, to remember what it is that the Lord has done for us. Every time we celebrate this ordinance, it's a chance for us to remember the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus came and died for us, that by the power of his spirit, we might be brought back into relationship with our good and loving Father. And so as we celebrate this morning, if you are a believer, celebrate with us what you see God doing in this young woman's life, and remember what Jesus has done for you. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, may this be a moment where you consider what it might mean for you to follow him. So let's celebrate this morning. I want to introduce you to my dear friend, Elizabeth Willemson, who is one of our seventh grade girls. And Elizabeth, I have many wonderful things I'd like to say about you, but I want to give you a chance to share your story with us first. I grew up in a Christian house, and I always remember hearing about and believing in Jesus. I'm getting baptized today because I want to say that I believe. I believe that God is perfect and holy, that we are sinners, and that we make mistakes, that he loves us and wants, wants to have a place for us in heaven. I believe that he punished himself on the cross instead of me, and that when he looks at me, he sees perfection from Jesus. God made me unique, and I can be myself. I have a new heart. I'm not perfect now, but I know that Jesus loves me, and I want to live for Jesus even when it's hard. Amen. Yeah, you can give an amen to that. <laughs> Beth, it has been such a sweet privilege to be a part of your story, just a small part of what Jesus is doing in your life. And you need to know that your family and me too, we see in you a deep compassion. You really love people. And the Spirit has made you very sensitive to other people's needs, which is such a gift. I love seeing you live that out in serving with our little preschoolers. <laughs> and I know you love that too. And I'm excited for this day, but I'm excited for the many days of following Jesus over a lifetime that you will be able to look back on this moment and remember, wow, this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for me and add many, many stories to your testimony. So Beth, this morning, is it your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. That's awesome. Well, then it's my honor and your dad's honor as fellow believers to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I hope that never gets old for you because baptism is a picture of a miracle of God bringing new life to something that was totally dead before. So will you join me in praying and giving thanks to God for what he's doing in Elizabeth's life? 
Father God, we love you and we're thankful that you invite us to be a part of your family and that you give us these pictures that bear witness to the beauty and the reality of the gospel. Thank you for Elizabeth's story, for your Holy Spirit's work in her life, for her family and for the opportunity as a church to surround her and to help her to grow up into Christ. Jesus, help us to be faithful in the way that we love our kids and lead them to you. Help us to be faithful in the way that we proclaim your name to our neighbors. Father, we love you and we give you this morning. May we honor you in it. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's celebrate our redemption together by singing one more song. Let's stand.
Let's pray.
Lord, we just sang that you love us too much to give us lesser things, Lord. Lord, we just heard that you love us so and so much, Lord, that you are not satisfied with giving us just things that will help us survive. Lord, the reality is that you love us so and so much that you will bring anything and use anything so we find you sufficient. Lord, the reality is that you love us so and so much that you would allow things into our lives that even though it feels like pain and tears and struggle, at the end of the day, as we just heard, those are blessings in disguise. Lord, I don't expect that unbelievers understand that, but as believers, Lord, we have seen it. We have tasted it, and we know that to be true. And for that, we want to thank you. At the same time, Lord, we want to ask for forgiveness because many, many times we forget that you are good. Lord, we want to ask for forgiveness because many, many times we forget that you are always good even when you allow painful things into our lives. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that by the power of your Spirit, you give us this good, this powerful understanding that all things work out for the good of the people you love. Lord, I know that there's brothers and sisters here this morning or brothers and sisters at home this morning in which, it has, in which it feels like if God is, it feels like if you're, you're not there. Lord, but I pray for a fresh uh, perspective. I pray for uh, a manifestation of your spirit in their lives, in their minds, in their hearts, so they know that not only you are there, but you are with them and you are for them. And we thank you, Lord, because we have you as our God our Lord and Savior. And the church says? All right, familia, before we have a special element today, um, and before we do that, I want to remind you that um, as Christians, we do have the responsibility to sustain the church financially. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to please continue to pray for the church finances. Uh, We are going into the last quarter of the year in which uh, we need like a big chunk of money to finish our year well. So please uh, continue to give uh, to the church, support the church financially. You could always go to witnessbiblechurch.org slash give. You could drop your offering as you exit the building in those boxes by the door. Or you could always send uh, your check to the offices. Now the reason why you have these four beautiful, good-looking people in front of me is because today we're going to do an extended time of reading. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the book of Ruth all the way from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4. And there's a reason for that. I want to invite you that if you have your Bible, you could just follow along um, uh, as we read through this thing. And this is the main reason for this. The story of Ruth is an amazing story. But we want you to keep in mind and track the story from beginning to end. Because at the end of that story, you will see this thing. You will see this. That God always wins. And that whatever starts in brokenness, eventually would always end up in restoration. Amen? All right, let's read. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah 
together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech's now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and the other was Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then Naomi kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Return home, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait for them? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. 
Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. She told us, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Later at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. It is good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Because in another field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. 
and she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a place for you, a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. Wash, put on some perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz is finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And Boaz said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Meanwhile, Boaz went to the town gate and sat down, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and told them to sit, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. 
I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, the guardian redeemer said. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malin. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malin's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring of the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nation, Nation the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Let us pray. Lord, what an amazing story this is. How amazing it is, Lord, to see how everything at the end of the day goes according to your plans. And that there is nothing, Lord, nothing that is broken nothing that is damaged, nothing that has been rejected, nothing that has been ruined, nothing that hurts that you cannot restore. Lord, as, and as we step into Ruth chapter 4, 
I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you make that clear to us. That you make that clear to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, Wasn't that amazing? 15 minutes of allowing the scripture to speak to our soul. That's all you need, 15 minutes. Interacting with the word, living active word of God, and your heart can be transformed. Amen? Amen. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, uh, and I want to welcome you all here, whether you are here worshiping with us uh, in person or you're worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you all again. I think that today is a good day for us to say this to you once again. If you are weary and need rest, if you are mourning and long for comfort, if you have failed and desire strength, if you have sinned and need a savior, we welcome you all in the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners and the one that makes all things new. Amen? Amen. Today we are digging into Ruth chapter 4. And the reason why, once again, we wanted to read all in the entire four chapters is because chapter 1 and chapter 4 run as parallels. In other words, chapter 4 is God responding to the reality of Ruth chapter 1. And as I was reading and preparing for this sermon, there was a phrase that Elizabeth Elliot mentioned more than once in one of her writings. And I think that it's a, a phrase worth mentioning today. She said, of one thing I am perfectly sure, that God's story never ends with ashes. Let me say that again. Of one thing I am perfect, perfectly sure, that God's story never ends with ashes. I think that it is proper for us to repeat that phrase together. God's story never ends with ashes. Do me a favor. Say the same phrase to the person next to you. So if you have been walking with us through this book, uh, you probably remember that the context of the story is not a really nice context. Actually, uh, Judges chapter 21 reminds us that in those days there was no king, and everyone did however they wanted. Everyone did as they saw fit. Um, and it's interesting because when you compare that culture, that time with our culture and our time, we, I, I think that we would all agree that there's a lot of similarities there. We too live in a culture and in a time in which everyone does whatever they think, whatever thing they want to do. Um, what is even more interesting though is what some people say to Christians or say to believers in the midst of chaos. Some people would say, well, do the forest gum thing. Run, forest, run. And they think that the approach in the midst of chaos is to, for us to hide and away from this broken world. Other people would say, well, no, the solution is not to run or to hide. The solution is to assimilate. If you can beat them, unite with them. That's how you're going to survive. And what I think the Bible says, and actually the book of Ruth makes that extremely clear, is that as Christians, we don't have any of these options. 
As Christians in the midst of chaos, we don't have the, the option of running away from problems and running away from the culture that is causing those problems. And at the same time, the option is not for us to assimilate. You know why? Because our God is bigger and greater. Our God is the God of the great reversals. The God is the one that works in the midst of chaos. Our God is the one in which his story never ends with ashes. And in that we rest, and in that we hope. And in this, in this story, we see that in three different times, in three different occasions with three different people, actually. You see that God is always making all things new. That's why we learn that God works from rejection to redemption, from resentment to restoration, and from ruin to renewal. Because God is the God of great reversals. Because God is always making all things new. God always works from rejection to redemption, from resentment to restoration, and from ruin to renewal. Now, I hope I could do this in the next 25 minutes. Because that was the time that was given to me. Let's go with the first point, from rejection to redemption. Once again, as we dig into this chapter, you have to keep in mind that run, chapter 1 and chapter 4 run like parallels. The chapter 4 is the response of chapter 1. So if you remember that in chapter 1, or if you were paying attention to the reading this morning in chapter 1, Ruth will fall under the category of the rejected. For various reasons, uh, various reasons. Uh, Ruth is a young woman that is a widow. Uh, Ruth, therefore, as a widow, has no protection and no one, no one is there to provide for her. Ruth is poor, living with an old mother-in-law. Ruth and Naomi move to Bethlehem. But the moment when they do that, Ruth is walking away from family and religion and land. Therefore, all sense of security is gone. And now as Ruth is in Bethlehem, she's probably most likely not welcome because she's a Moabite, enemies of the Israelites. The whole story of Ruth, actually the entire four chapters show us that if there's one person that has sacrificed the most, that will be Ruth, the rejected one. Once again, but because God is a God of great reversals, because God is the God that is making all things new, I want you to see what he does in her and through her and how the Lord is treating the rejected one. So if you were here last week, or paying attention to the reading this morning, at the end of chapter 3, we see Boaz seeking for the guardian redeemer, uh, the closest relative that will be able to help protect and provide for Naomi and Ruth as they go back, as they are in Bethlehem. Now, in verse 3, it says that Naomi is selling the land. Actually, I don't think that's a good translation. A lot of scholars agree that that's not a good translation. Because what's happening here, it seems to be like that before Elimelech takes the entire family to Moab, he sells his properties in order to survive. When Naomi comes back to Bethlehem, what she's doing is selling the right um, of being able to buy that land back for her. That would be the responsibility of the guardian redeemer. Now, the tricky thing here, though, is that there was a big celebration in the Israelite times. Uh, it was the year of Jubilee that I'm, that I'm sure that many of you guys are familiar with. 
What many scholars think is that by the time the story of Ruth is happening, the year of Jubilee is approaching. And if you remember anything or you know anything about the year of Jubilee, meaning that anybody, actually an amazing celebration, I think that we should celebrate it all over again, but it'll be complicated, because during the year of Jubilee, what happened is that if you had sold yourself into slavery because of a necessity, we don't have that today, but if we had it, um, in the year of Jubilee, whoever owned you had the responsibility before the Lord and the community to release you and let you go. Not only that, but if you had sold your property because of necessity, in the year of Jubilee, whoever had bought that property had the responsibility before the Lord and before the community to, to give back that property back to the original owner. See, during the year of Jubilee, if you had, if you had a loan and you were paying for that loan, in the year of Jubilee, that person will have to forgive the loan. See, during the year of Jubilee, if you, if you, uh, even the land had to take a break, so nobody will be able to work the land, no gleaning will be allowed for two reasons. Number one, for the land to rest, and two, for the poor of the community to have a one year full of free meals. Now, this is the tricky thing. The scholars believe that when this is happening, the year of Jubilee is approaching. Therefore, if this guardian redeemer were to buy this land, he, had, uh, he knew that at one point he was going to, he was going to, he was going to have to redeem it, uh, return it. With that in mind, though, I want you to see Boaz and what he did. So in chapter, one, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says that Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down. That was like the place where judicial business took place. So he gets over there, and just as the guardian redeemer, you know what, this is the fourth time that that phrase appears in the text. This talks about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. And they're just, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. Now, the English translation doesn't help us a lot here, but when Boaz talks, calls this man, my friend, he's more like, hey, you, come here. Not very respectful, people. Not the language to do business. Boaz is sitting there. Just then, the man walks by and goes, hey, you. Now, the reason why this is happening, scholars believe, is because that tells you something about this man's character. It tells you something about his personality, so and so much, that he's not even worth mentioning his name. And you've got to ask the question, Why? Well, Boaz tells us, listen, you got the right to buy the land. You got the right to buy this land and co-own it with Naomi for a while. And this man, <clears throat> that's poor character, knows that Naomi is old in age. He also knows that the year of Jubilee is coming up. And he figures... That if Naomi is going to die, this is a great business. Great deal. And it's so interesting in the way he expresses his excitement. Verse 4, I'll redeem it. Now, obviously, you can read the tone there. 
But in the original, the, re the, the response is more like, mine, 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 I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it. Once again, Boaz knows the character of this man. And he knows that he does not care about Naomi nor Ruth. He knows that the only thing this man cares, this enthusiastic response, is because he's selfish and greedy. You know how I know that? Because what Boaz says to him in verse chapter five, in verse five. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. If there's one thing that you can learn from the Bible, is that the Bible always tells you that motives matter. That the Lord not only looks at the behavior of people, but he looks at the motives of the heart. And this is almost like Boaz saying, I know that you're super excited about this land, but just let me remind you that as a guardian redeemer, you have a responsibility not just to redeem the land, but to protect and provide for the rest of the family. You don't get the land without the family. You don't get the land without Naomi and without Ruth. Somehow, the enthusiastic response of this man changes automatically. Verse 6, at this, that means right away, the guardian redeemer said, oh, then I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You should do it. It's not good for me, but it should be good for you. And you got to ask the question, why is it that this man responds like this? Let me give you four possible answers. Number one, he knows that both Naomi and Ruth will be an extra expense to him. Number two, he knows that marrying a Moabite had ethnic implications. God forbid that I marry a Moabite. Number three, he knows that Ruth is young and that part of his responsibility was to have children with her Meaning that if Naomi will pass away, the land will never be just his. It will be Ruth's kids. And number four, that if Naomi passes away, he will not be the only person in control. Motives matter. Motives matter. Here you have a man that we don't even know his name. Hey, you! That is putting things before people. Personal security before generosity. Ethnic preferences before compassion and greed before love. You know how I call that? The survival of the fittest. Isn't that what we have in our community and secular world today? See, one of, the things, one of the things when I think about, you know, we live in a world in, in which people talk about loving one another and caring for one another and accepting one another, but their own philosophy and worldview does not justify or even help them to live that out. You know why? Because if God is out of the picture, then the only answer is the survival of the fittest. Only the strong wins. 
And this is what this man is showing us here. That if God is out of the picture, the only person that matters is you. That if God is out of the picture, the only person that matters is you with your ideas, your desires, and your dreams. But because God is the God of great reversals, and because God is the God that is making all things new, look at how Boaz responds. In verse 9, he says, I'll buy the land. And in verse 10, he says, I'll marry Ruth. Knowing that it will cost them more to do it. Knowing that he will have to sacrifice more. Knowing that most likely he will be rejected by the community because he's marrying a Moabite. Notice that Boaz is the opposite of this hey man. He puts people before things. He puts generosity before personal security. He puts compassion before ethnic preferences. And he puts love before anything else. A man worth imitating. It is possible to live in the midst of chaos. It is possible to live in the midst of a secular world that, has, that reject God in a way that both give him honor and love other people. See, if there's one thing that we can learn from the book of Ruth is that God uses people like that. We don't have to run. We don't have to assimilate. Instead, we live faithful lives loving God and loving others in word and in deed. Now, all that to say one thing. Did you notice that in Ruth chapter 4, the hero of the chapter is not Boaz? No one is saying, wow, Boaz, you're amazing. Nobody's saying what I just said. He is a man worth imitating. Nobody's saying that. Nobody says, when I grow up, I want to be like Boaz. You know who gets elevated? Ruth. Ruth is the woman that is the hero of this story. So and so much, and I'll explain why in a second, that in verse 11 and 12, she gets compared to Rachel and Leah and Tamar. These three ladies are very important, very important and strong female figures in the history of the Israelites. I love the way one of the scholars puts it. He says, these are women of humility joined with power and sensitivity with guts. I'm going to start praying like that for my daughters. Not weak woman. Powerful woman. Full of humility. And even though sensitive, with courage. And Ruth, listen up church. Ruth, the Moabite, the rejected one. The ones that no one wants gets compared to this lady as, a, as an example of, of a hero. As an example of a woman that is worth imitating. But the story doesn't stop there. Because in verse 15, the ladies from the community, actually the community, go to Naomi. After Ruth has the baby, they give the baby to Naomi. Naomi has the baby. And the ladies from the community, the community itself says this to her. 
For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him, has given him birth. Now, the, the, the number seven there is always super important in the scripture. Because number seven always talks about completeness or perfection or ideal. Ruth, in the entire story, is the best example of perfect love. She is better than any other love in the story. She loves in a better way than anybody else in the story. Her love is supreme. Her love is beautiful. Her love is complete. Her love is perfect. Her love is an example of the ideal. You know what's ironic about this? That the Israelites knew in Leviticus chapter 19 that they were supposed to love the strangers. And here we have a stranger as an example of love to the Israelites. Tell me if God is not a God of reversals. So this is the question. Why would Ruth get elevated over Boaz? Why would Ruth get elevated over Boaz? Because chapter 4 would have never happened without first Ruth loving in chapter 1. That the only reason why Boaz got to the point where he got was because years, uh, days before, months before, she had loved in that unique way. The reason why Ruth is elevated and not Boaz is because without Ruth, this story does not make any sense. God, our God is the God of great reversals. Our God is the one that is making all things new. Our God is the one that redeems the rejected. So listen up, church. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how many sins you have committed. God is still making all things new in you and through you. It doesn't matter how broken you are, how inadequate you feel. God is the one that takes the rejected and he redeems them. It doesn't matter how hurt you are, how wounded you are. God has the power to make all things new. It doesn't matter how much you have sinned, how many people you have hurt. God always gives new beginnings. That your sin, your brokenness, your shame, your guilt will never define you because God is the God of great reversals. Amen. See, the reason why we need Ruth chapter 4 is because it's an evidence that God's story never ends with ashes. Here or in heaven. Let me repeat that again so then you could clap. God's story never ends with ashes. Give him glory. Are you like Ruth? Are you like Boaz? Are you like Naomi? Doesn't matter. What qualifies you for God to work in you is precisely that we have nothing to fix ourselves. Second point is going to go super quick, so don't worry. God is, all, is the God that moves things from resentment to restoration. And I'm going to spend just two minutes on Naomi here. 
Because if you remember, um, Naomi receives this baby, and everyone in the community is super happy. In verse 14 says that the woman said to Naomi, Praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. So everyone is seeing what the Lord is doing. Notice that the people, people are not here uh, worshiping Ruth or worshiping Naomi or worshiping uh, Boaz. The praise goes to the Lord. You know when you're doing things right because God takes the glory. But then there's something that they said here that is beautiful in verse 15. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. That phrase at the beginning could be translated as he will restore your soul. Now, remember what I told you for a third time, that chapter 1 and chapter 4 go as parallels? You guys remember what was Naomi's description in, in Ruth chapter 1? The bitter woman. Don't call me Naomi, she says. Call me bitter. I, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a good way for you to introduce yourself to people. The word bitter could be translated as confused or panicky or disoriented or bewildered or desperate. That was Naomi in Ruth chapter 1. But Ruth in chapter 4 is someone that is experiencing the renewal of her soul. And the reason why I wanted you to see that is because I want you to see how God, because of his love, renews, renews, he puts back together, he refreshes, he revives, and he restores the soul of a person. Because of one thing I'm sure, God's story never ends with ashes. You know what's Disney's favorite verse or favorite saying at the end of all the stories or many of the stories? And they lived happily ever after. Did you know that we could say that? Listen up, church. Naomi was, still a, Naomi was still a widow. She still didn't have her husband. She still had lost her two sons. She still was living in the midst of chaos. But inside, completely renewed, completely refreshed, completely put together, completely revived, completely restored. You don't need your problems to go away. I don't need the problems to go away. I don't need God to modify my external things. What I want is the God that modifies my internal heart. The beauty of the gospel the beauty of God is that he gives you peace in the midst of chaos. That he restores your soul in the midst of pain. And if he takes you out of problems, that will be nice too. But the one that matters is that he's powerful enough not just to save you from problems, but in problems. No other religion can do that for you. Not only God is the God that makes all things new, because he brings, let me go back over here because I forgot what the points were, 
from resentment to restoration, from uh, rejection to redemption, but also from ru uh, ruin to renewal. Uh, did I put that right? Yeah. Now, you know that at the end of chapter 4, there is a genealogy. And there's a reason why the genealogy is there. It's to remind us that God is always in control, that God is sovereign, and that God had a plan all throughout this. So the famine, so the famine in the land that, that forced Elimelech to move the family to Moab, that was part of God's plan? That Naomi's kids marrying the Moabites was still God, part of God's plan? That Elimelech and his sons passing away, even though painful, was still part of God's plan. That Naomi and Ruth becoming widows was still part of God's plan. That having to go back to Bethlehem, show, uh, Boaz showing, uh, showing up just on time, Boaz marrying Ruth, and Ruth having a baby, it's all part of God's sovereignty and is used in God's providence. Now, because all of that happened, in verse 17 says that a kid was born, Obed. And that he was the great-great-grandfather of King David. And the reason why we cannot stop here is because Ruth was meant to point us to the greater David. That's why in Matthew chapter 1, it starts with a genealogy that includes this group of people. Because the story of Ruth is taking us all the way to Jesus, in which David will be the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather and that David had a son, and his name was Joseph. And Joseph married another young lady that was in Bethlehem, Mary. Why? So every important figure in Ruth chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 will remind us, remind us and point us to Jesus. That's why in Luke chapter 1, Jesus is called the greater and better guardian redeemer, the redeemer of the world. This is the reason why in Galatians chapter 3, Jesus says that he came to redeem us from the curse of the law, the punishment of the law. This is the reason why in Titus chapter 2, he says that Jesus came to rescue us from all wickedness. This is the reason why Jesus in Luke chapter 4 is described as the ultimate jubilee, the one that proclaimed the, Lord, the Lord's favor. Um, that will be jubilee to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives, captives, to recover the sight of the blind, and to give freedom to the oppressed. See, Jesus is the one that can truly not just redeem, but to restore. Restore our relationship to one another and restore our relationship with God. Jesus is the one who truly restores and renews our soul. Did you know that that phrase that was applied to Naomi is the same phrase that we find in Psalm 23? The ones that talk to us about this great shepherd that restores your soul. Even when Ruth is described as someone that loves that better than seven sons, it's to point us to the real son that loves better than Ruth. His love is perfect. His love is constant. His love is powerful. And his love was sacrificial. Much better than what Boaz did. See, Boaz sacrificed, but not like Jesus, the sacrifice by becoming a human being. That it caused him to deny himself every step of the way. That he saw your mess and my mess, and he came into our world and to, and to struggle with our pain and struggle and poverty. That he came to sacrifice, sacrificing honor and absorbing shame. 
that he was also treated as a stranger in the land, as the one that was rejected and that cost him his life. You and I don't have any, any um, excuses to not believe that God is the God of the great reversals. We have Jesus that makes the one that is making everything new. And you are part of that. So I want to invite you to, something, to do something that for some of you might be weird, but it's biblical. So if it's weird, but it's biblical, it's okay. I want us to finish the book of Ruth on our knees, if it's possible for you to do that. Kneeling before the Lord is always a sign of reverence and dependence, a sign of humility. So if you can, if it's possible for you, I'm going to ask you to please kneel so we could pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you kneeling because we know that you are God and we are not. We kneel before you as a, as a sign of humility, as a sign of dependence, and as a way to say to you, we need you. We kneel before you, Lord, recognizing that the only reason why we are here is because you are the God that is making all things new, the God that exercised self-sacrifice. Lord, we worship you because you did not cultivate self, that you took no account of self, but that you came into this world and you forgot yourself for our needs and you sacrificed yourself because of us and that you were not indifferent to our pain. To restore us. To renew us. To make us new. And for that we want to thank you. But also Lord we are still living in the midst of chaos. And Lord you are not calling us to run or to hide. You are calling us to live in the midst of all of this for your glory and the well-being of others. To love in word and in deed. To show, Lord, the hope that we have. So, Lord, I'm taking these words from B.B. Weirfield. Lord, please turn these words into our prayer this morning. May self-sacrifice lead us. May we, as followers of Jesus... Not run away from people, but move in the midst of men. That whenever men suffer, we will be there to comfort. That whenever men strive, we will be there to help. That whenever men fail, we will be there to uplift. That whenever men succeed, there will be to rejoice. Self-sacrifice means not indifference to our times and our fellows. It means absorbing in them. It means for, forgetfulness of self in others. It means entering into every man's hopes and fears, longings and despairs. Please, Lord, allow us to become people like that 
more and more. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, can you please stand? Let's respond to the Lord in adoration. Thank you.
right, before we finish the service, I want to invite you to a couple of things. Number one, as you know, every week we love to pray for you. So if you have needs, uh, prayer requests, please let us know. We love to pray for you. Uh, second thing, Advent season is a, is a season in which a lot of people are sensitive uh, to different things, right? And it's also a season in which the Lord usually moves in, in unique ways. Uh, but we also know that it's a season in which a lot of people are struggling, and there's a lot of pain involved for so many. Therefore, we think that this is a season in which the church needs to pray more. And I want to invite you to join me in an Advent season of prayer. And there's two ways in how, as a congregation, we're going to do this. Number one, right in front of you in the chairs, you, you, uh, by the seats, you're going to find a QR code. We are going to have a four-week Advent prayer uh, that you could do every day with you and your family. You, if you want to subscribe to that, you got to hit it there. And if you don't know how to do that, just send us an email and we send it to you via email. Is that good? So we want the entire church praying for the, uh, for the uh, weeks of Advent every day for many different things. This is a time in which we are asking the Lord to do amazing things, not just in us, but in our community. Amen? Amen. The second thing that goes along with that is that during these four weeks that we're going to be doing together, we're also going to do corporate prayer. Uh, it'll be on Wednesdays during Advent weeks, at Wednesdays in the East Worship at 7 o'clock, and it's going to be only one hour. Listen up. No special program, no nothing. Just come in. I'll be there, and we will pray together. Amen? With that in mind, then, let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming, church. We love you. Have a blessed day. You are sent. Amen.